Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We made it. This is it. This is the end of the book of Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have an outline you can follow along. The notes are in the Bible app. If you go to the Bible app and go to the events section, uh, our church should pop up there and you can follow along there. We are in Ephesians chapter 6 for the conclusion of the master's plan. How many of you watched the uh, opening ceremonies for the Olympics this year? Yeah? How many of you love the Summer Olympics? Let's see your hands. How many of you are more of a Winter Olympics? I'm a little bit of both, I'll be honest. Uh, It's a little odd this year with not having fans in the stadium to cheer these Olympians on. Um, As I was looking at the Olympics, I was reminded of uh, of the ancient Greek Olympics. On page 32 of his book, Fan the Flame, uh, the author Stoll Moody writes of a unique race that was part of the ancient Greek Olympics. So the Greeks would run this particular race at one point in their games And it was one of the favorites of those who attended. In this race, the winner was not the runner who simply finished first. They would run with torches. They would run this race with torches. And the object of the race was not only to finish the race, but to do so with your flame still lit. So an unexpected gust of wind or a distraction or not paying attention for a moment could cost you the race even if you were far ahead because your flame was no longer lit. So the runner was, the the winner I should say, would be the runner who crossed the finish line with the torch still lit. So this unique race demonstrated a quality that many have lost today or simply ignored. It confirms personal care and focus on the task at hand. The point is, when we live each day in a careless and distracted way, life loses its meaning. And worse than that, if we run carelessly, what if we reach our goal but we have nothing to pass on to those who are waiting? You see, part of the ceremony was the runner who finished the line first with their flame still lit. That torch was used then to light the torches for the remainder of the Olympic Games. Their torch, in essence, was passed on to others who then got to benefit from that torch by viewing the rest of the Olympic Games. And what if our life, when we reach the end of it, were unable to pass something on to those who are with us? I think the Apostle Paul would have loved this tradition in the ancient Greek Olympic Games. He's the one who said these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. This same author, Paul, is the author of Ephesians, and so we have been looking at his gospel, or the the letter, I should say, written to the Ephesians. Today we read Paul's final words. We've talked about this before, that if the gospel does not impact our relationships, we're living an incomplete version of the gospel. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we will face spiritual Warfare, And in the face of this spiritual warfare, Paul issues three commands to us as his final words. These are his final words to this group of believers in Ephesus that he spent time earlier with his life that Timothy is now pastoring and he's 
telling them that uh, after all I've shared with you, after I've shared with you about the beauty of the gospel, after I've shared with you what God has done on the cross and what it means to be uh, saved by the blood, uh, he, he mentions in Ephesians 2, uh, it's by grace we are saved, right? It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So after he explains what salvation is, after he shares about the beauty and the majesty of gospel, he goes on to describe how the gospel impacts every relationship in our life. And he comes to the end of Ephesians and he gives us final words, three commands he gives us in these final words. The first one is this, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So Paul spends so much time establishing our place, our standing in Jesus Christ, and then he spends so much time on the basics of Christian, of Christianity. And here in Ephesians 6, he says, finally, right? Uh, in light of all that he has previously said, in other words, in light of the fact of what God has done for you, in light of the glorious standing you have as a child of God, in light of his great plan and the way he has revealed it to us all, in light of uh, the plan for us to grow in maturity, in light of all the different ways that our relationships are impacted by the gospel, finally, at the conclusion of this, be strong in the Lord. God has vast reservoirs of might and strength that can be realized in the Christian life. And one begs the question, if God has this entire reserve of strength and might ready for us, what weakens us as followers of Jesus Christ? What weakens our faith? In fact, I would urge you to write that question down and maybe answer it on a personal level. What weakens your faith as a follower of Jesus Christ? What are the things that chip away at your strength? Maybe it's when you get too busy. How I many of you get too busy and you go through a day or two and you realize you haven't spent any time with God? And getting too busy ends up becoming what weakens your strength. What weakens your strength as a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, maybe it's ungratefulness or bitterness. You get to the point and, and you're so bitter because you haven't taken any time for gratitude and because you haven't taken any time for gratitude, all that shows up in your life are all the warts in your life. And some of those warts have faces and names of people. And you become bitter because the thankfulness isn't there. What weakens your faith? A wrong attitude, perhaps another person uh, doubting your faith. What weakens your faith as a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, I would say in the last 18 months, uh, the, the isolation that we have created for ourselves and the, the new patterns that we've established of, of isolating and not gathering perhaps, and, and maybe you're watching from home because it's just kind of hard to be in a crowd anymore, and perhaps that has uh, contributed to the weakening of your faith. He says, finally, in light of all these things, be strong because there are moments in our life where our faith is not as strong as it should be. He goes on with the second command, and it's this, put on the whole armor of God. Look at verse 11. Ephesians 6, 11 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
So God gives the believer a full set of equipment. He sends us into battle with everything we need at our disposal, and we express the strength we have by standing against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, the trappings that the devil has laid out for us. And yet, without the armor of God, you and I don't stand a chance. We simply don't. You will experience the brokenness that the accuser of the brethren wants to see in our life. And as we unpack what spiritual warfare is, it's important to know spiritual warfare is mysterious, but it is real. It's mysterious, and sometimes we can't define it, but we can sense it. Sometimes we can't articulate what the definition is in our life today, but we can feel the oppression, perhaps, that spiritual warfare has. Uh, Verse 12 goes on, Paul goes on to define it. He says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's what he's saying. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we don't battle against people. Spiritual warfare is not a battle between me and the person next to me. It's, it's not a battle against people. We battle against these forces, against spiritual warfare. And as soon as we isolate some person as the enemy, our, we lose focus. We lose focus and all of a sudden our battles become very personal. And this is when ego and pride and bitterness starts to become part of the equation. Paul says very strenuously, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's talking to Ephesians here. He's talking to these, uh, these group of new followers in Ephesus who have grown up in a culture where most of the culture is following the goddess Diana. They're, they're, they're sacrificing their children. They're, uh, they're engaged in all sorts of despicable acts of worship. And Paul says when you look at these people and the way that they're depraved and the sin that they're in and the brokenness they're in, they're not the enemy There's a brokenness, there's a spiritual force at work. In fact, they are just the victims of the brokenness, right? And if we're not careful, you and I, we can can assume based on someone's politics, based on someone's stances, based on someone's social media posts, we can make assumptions about people. And if we're not careful, we will identify people as the enemy, and really they're not the enemy. Our struggle is not against the flesh. Scripture tells us that all, all of the warfare is combating these wiles or the schemes of the devil. And part of his plan is to take your eye off of the reality of spiritual warfare, reduce it to a person, and all of a sudden you are in conflict with the person rather than recognizing that there is a larger warfare at stake. At the end of the day, it's completely irrelevant if the particular opponent we face is a principality or power or ruler of the darkness. Collectively, they are members of spiritual hosts of wickedness. So Paul uses a variety of terms to refer to our spiritual enemies, but to summate summate them all, I don't know if that's a word, uh, summate, as a summation of them all, the goal is this of our enemies, to knock ourselves down from our place of standing. Now, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're talking about this power that is against us. I want to remind you today that the power against us is a limited power. 
In fact, say those words with me. The power against us is a limited power. We're going to look at several pieces of Scripture here. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and verse 39. It says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, there's that word, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Romans 8, uh, 38 and verse 38, 9 says that these principalities, these powers cannot keep us from God's love. Their power is limited. Uh, we're going to go back up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 20 says this. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. If you look back at verse uh, 20, it says this, He, Jesus Christ, is seated at, the, uh, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, Far above. In other words, this limited power, uh, the principalities and powers, they, they are beneath who Jesus Christ. Jesus is enthroned in heaven, far above them. Uh, the next one is in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So these principalities and these powers have an end, and one day their purpose will be fulfilled, and God will no longer let them work. My favorite when we're talking about this spiritual warfare is in Colossians 3, or 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and, your, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Amen? That's an amazing picture. When we were dead, he made us alive. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, and what has he done with it? Boy, oh boy, he's nailed it to the cross. He canceled the charge of our indebtedness, He has, uh, and that stood against us, it condemned us, and he took it away, he nailed it to the cross. Look at verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So this, these principalities, these powers, the spiritual warfare we are in as followers of Jesus Christ, they have power, but the power is limited through Jesus Christ. Jesus has disarmed those principalities, those powers. Therefore, our victory is rooted in what Jesus did, not in what we do. Aren't you glad that Ephesians 6 doesn't say this? Be strong in the Lord and attack. That would be a frightening proposition. You see, our strength and our victory do not rely on what we do, but in who Jesus is. This is where we get our strength. Not in what we do, but in who he is. So, our victory is not in our attack. Jesus has already gained the victory. Here's the proper response. Look at verse 13. Here's our proper response to the attacks of the evil one. Put on the armor. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You see, the goal of the follower of Jesus Christ is not necessarily to be ready for a position of attack. The goal of the follower of Jesus Christ is to rest in the victory that Jesus Christ has already provided and to stand, put on the whole armor of God and to stand. You see, Satan's goal is to knock us down from our place of standing. God has given his people a call, a mission, a course to fulfill. And next week we'll unpack this idea of what it looks like for you to take the next step in whatever God is leading for you. And we do the Lord's work, but we stand against every hint of spiritual opposition. So we stand in grace, the Bible tells us in Romans. We stand in the gospel in 1 Corinthians. We stand in courage and strength in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we stand in faith. In Galatians, we stand in Christian liberty. In Philippians, we stand in Christian unity. In Philippians again, we stand in the Lord. All we have to do is put on the whole armor of God and rest in his presence. And after all that, There's a lot indicated in this word stand. It means that we are going to be attacked. It means that we shall not be frightened. It doesn't mean that we droop or slouch or be uncertain or half-hearted in our fight. It means that we are at our position and we are alert. Uh, Let's read on. Ephesians 6 and verse 14 says this. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see, Paul reminds us we can only stand when we are equipped with the armor of God. Now, we're not going to unpack each piece of this armor. We've done so in studies before. I want to highlight them, and I want to uh, wrap this in a bow with Paul's third command. Each symbol here uh, answers a specific dynamic within the Christian life that enables us to stand against the spiritual attack. So look at your Bibles again. Look at the outline if you need to. Verse 14, what's the first piece of armor? Talk to me. The belt of truth, right? The belt of truth that's buckled around the waist. So truth is uh, symbolically represented as a belt which both protects us and it also gathers up our garments so that we can fight effectively. This is the belt of truth. Everything in the Christian life uh, is, is gathered up in the truth of who Jesus is. So it begins with the belt of truth. What's the next one here? breastplate of righteousness so you think about the breastplate and what does it protect it protects your heart it protects the most vulnerable part of your body the largest area of your body that an attack could be uh, pitted against it provides essential protection for the most vital organs we can no sooner battle against spiritual enemies in our own righteousness you know that's what he said in ephesians 2 right for by grace are you saved not of yourselves, right? It's not our righteousness. Paul writes in Titus, it is, not a, uh, it is not by works of righteousness that we have done, 
but according to his mercy he saved us. So he says, put on the whole armor of God, put on the breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness, so we can protect ourselves. The next one is this preparation of the gospel. It's represented as the protective shoes or sandals worn by Roman soldiers. No one can fight effectively or effectively go out of his, uh, about in his business without this equipment to be able to handle the terrain. Some of the armor we must wear all the time and have a standing foundation. We must be rooted at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the combat boots, so to speak, of the gospel. And yet now Paul then shifts and he starts dealing with aspects of the armor we are to take at necessary moments of spiritual warfare. What's the next one? Boy, the shield of faith. So faith, our faith is represented as a shield. It protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked one. Though there's persistent efforts of demonic foes to weaken us through fear and unbelief, faith stands there as the guard, the shield. He goes on to talk about salvation, which is pictured as this kind of helmet protecting an essential part of the body. And in the ancient world, this was usually a leather cap. It was studded with metal for extra strength. A soldier would be foolish to go in without his helmet. And then there's this idea that the Spirit provides a sword for you. And that sword is what? The Word of God. Boy, look at, look at the armor. Verse 14 through 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which where you can extinguish all the flaming arrows. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He goes on to give us a third command, though. Look at verse 18. He says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I love this sentence. Pray in the Spirit. And Paul's like, I know there's going to be some people in Roseburg that have questions. So I'm going to explain it. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. When should I pray, Paul? On all occasions. When you're happy, when you're sad. When you're broken, when you're filled up. When you have money in the bank account. And you have an account with not so much money in it. When you're mourning, when you're grieving, in your celebration. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. He covers the gamut here, and then he says in verse 18, With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for whom? For all the Lord's people. You see, we should use this, uh, this as a guide that he wants us to pray prayer upon prayer upon prayer, all kinds of prayer. Group prayer, individual prayer, silent prayer, out. Loud prayer, walking prayer, shouting prayer, kneeling prayer, eloquent prayer, groaning prayer, constant prayer. Just keep on praying. Winston Churchill said this about the early days of the Second World War. He said this, I must drop one word of caution, for next to cowardice and treachery, Overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness 
is the worst of wartime crimes. Next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence, which leads to neglect and slothfulness, is the worst of wartime crimes. Church, I don't want to ever get to the point where we are overconfident, where it leads us to neglect or slothfulness, and we do not lift one another in prayer. We can battle spiritually not only on our own behalf, but for all of God's people, also on the behalf of others. The end of verse 18 says this, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see, the soldier is not only concerned for his or her own safety, he feels an instinct to protect and to battle on the behalf of others. Here's Paul's final words. Be strong in the Lord. Paul makes it very clear. Boy, it is not in our own strength that we do this. It is not in our own strength that we fight uh, the Christian walk. In fact, we don't have to do much fighting at all, but we need to be strong in the Lord's strength. So I want to encourage you this morning. What does it look like to be in the Lord's strength, and what does it look like to be in our own strength? Well, I can tell you what a day in our own strength looks like. A day in our own strength means that we, uh, we just we, we rush the prayer time. We rush the worship time. We rely on others praying for us. And before you knew it, you've picked out an enemy in your day. And it might be the car in front of you. It might be your spouse. It might be someone who just looked at you wrong. But you've identified an enemy in your life, and it's a person. That's doing it on your own strength. Paul says, boy, be strong in the Lord's strength. So that means prioritizing time with him in the morning. That means prioritizing time with him, with your spouse, with your family, leaning into the Lord's strength. And then he says what? Put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say go and attack. He doesn't say go on the offensive. He doesn't say that you are responsible now for the battles on your own. He says, I have gifted you this equipment. The faith comes with everything you need to stand against the wiles of the devil. So every temptation that you might face, every single uh, broken thought that enters your mind, every single selfish or, uh, yeah, selfish thought that would enter your, your mind, you can battle against. But it takes on this willfulness to put on the whole armor of God. And then he says this, pray, pray. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray happy prayers, pray sad prayers. On every kind of occasion, every single kind of prayer. I can't tell you in the last four weeks how many times I've gone to prayer and I say, Lord, I don't know what to say. So-and-so is hurting. His family is grieving. This is happening. And I, I I I don't know what to say. But this family is hurting and this is happening. And this is that groaning prayer that Romans talks about where this Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for you. You guys heard about the the fire in green? Unbelievable. It's just a normal day. And then um, I was sitting, I think we were watching, my brother's in town, and so Sam and I and Libby were watching the Olympics, I want to say maybe. And then the phone, the alarm went off. That was a fire alarm, you know, it's coming from your phone and it describes it. So then I started thinking, 
Well, Mike and Judy live there. Our friends Brandon and Judy live there. Darren and Valerie's home's there. They're not at home. Nick is there with Roman, right? I'm still going through the list of people that live in green. And thankfully, my goodness, we have an amazing fire department that was able to put it out pretty quickly. Libby was telling a story this morning of one of our friends. He has a couple of daughters, um, five and six or so. Uh, and they're followers of Jesus Christ. And um, he was talking about how the fires were happening. The panic settled in. I wonder what's going to happen. And then a few hours later, we got word that it was controlled and it was stopped. And he was telling that to his family. And the girl said, one of his daughters, right? I think one of them said first, God heard my prayer. I prayed that the fire would stop. And our friend kind of took that for what it is sometimes, you know, as a parent. And he went and asked his other daughter, they're twin girls, cutest little girls you've seen, asked the other daughter, did you pray too? Yeah. And the father said, I never even paused for a moment to pray. And the beautiful lesson that children can remind us, that prayer is simply an acknowledgement that we don't have it together that we're not in control, that we lean into this power that is greater than ours. And it might be awkward the first time you grab your spouse's hands and say, hey, let's just pray for our day. Let's just pray for our day. And it might be awkward the first time your family prays over a meal and maybe you don't, are not accustomed to that. But can I tell you what you're doing? You are preparing for the warfare that happens. And you might think, Daniel, there's no warfare. We're just having a meal. We're just starting our day. There's no warfare. But I can assure you this, warfare will come. There will be a crisis in your life. There will be a moment in your life. And your marriage will go through brokenness. And your kids will go through whatever kids are going through. And your job will go through the, the, the ups and downs of your career. And your bank account will go through the same thing. And your retirement account will go up and down. And all of these things will happen. And the reason we pray every day is because we don't know the day in which we need that strength. Paul says, man... It's one thing for you to accept Christ in your life. It's one thing for him to be Lord and Savior for that moment. But we're called to so much more. I want to end our study in Ephesians by taking you to Assam. This is India, my homeland. I was born in India. I was raised in Southern California. We're from the second most southern state in India, so this is not the highlight of it, but... It's India, so I get to tell you where I was born. Um, the red portion is uh, the state of Assam. It's in northeast India. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in the Wales. And what happened as a result of the revival in the Wales is that missionaries started thinking, oh my goodness, who else needs to hear about Jesus? Who else needs to hear about the gospel? And so many went to northeast India to spread the gospel. They're contrived of tribes and uh, headhunters, very primitive. In those hostile and aggressive communities, there came a group of missionaries spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded, converting a man. His name was Nak Singh. Everybody say Nak Singh. 
you know Nak Singh. You may not know his name, but you know him. Him and his wife and his two children came to Jesus. And the man's faith proved to be contagious. Many other villagers started to accept Christ, and the village chief was angry that the influence of these missionaries was now permeating his culture. So he called the family who had converted, who had first com- converted, Nak Singh and his wife and the children. And he said, I need you to renounce your faith or you will be executed. I need you to deny your faith, deny your Christ, your God, your faith, or you will be executed. And moved by the Holy Spirit, the man simply said this, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know the words, the chorus? Sing it with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The chief was enraged. So his archers grabbed arrows and the arrows pierced the bodies of the two children. Both of the boys lay twitching on the floor and the chief asked him, will you deny your faith? You have lost both of your children. You will lose your wife and you will lose your own life. And Nak Singh replied this way, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Sing those words with me, would you? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. As you can imagine, the chief was beside himself with fury. He ordered his wife to be arrowed down as well. Her body lay next to her two children in death. And he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and to live. And in the face of death, the man said these words, which would end up being his final words. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. As we honor and remember Nak Singh's commitment, would you sing this last stanza with me? The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. Behind me, the cross before me, go turning back, turning back. Knock sings final words.
the world behind me, the cross before me. And then a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was so moved by this incredible display of faith, of this man who not only embraced his faith, but in the face of clear adversity, did not attack, did not accuse, but simply stood in his faith. And he began to wonder, this village chief, why would this man, his wife, and his children die for a man who lived in a faraway land in a different continent some 2,000 years before? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. He too came to Christ. He gave his profession of faith. And when the crowd heard of this from the mouth of their own chief, that he had accepted Christ shortly after taking the lives of this family, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord here in Assam, India. It was not till years later that a missionary who gathered this information put music to the words Nak Singh spoke, but these are Nak Singh's final words. Paul's final words are these. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his power. His mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil scheme. Let's take a moment and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we're moved and we're challenged by the faith of those who have gone before us. Moved and challenged by their resolve and their ability to stand in the face of severe adversity. And Father, I do not want to pretend to understand what that kind of adversity would be like. For we serve you in a country full of liberties. We serve in a country full of freedom that we are grateful for. We serve in a community where We're not chastised for our faith. In fact, we gather openly and we gather freely. And so, Father, sometimes it's really hard for me to understand what does it look like for me to stand for my faith? I don't think I'll ever be in front of a firing line. I don't think I'll ever be in a position like the Apostle Paul was where I might be imprisoned for my faith. And so what does it look like for me in 2021 in Roseburg in Douglas County to stand So I pray, Father, in the face of temptation, that I will stand. I pray that in the face of temptation, I'll stand in my faith. That I will not walk towards evil, but that I will have a shield of faith protecting me and my heart and my eyes from things that I shouldn't see, things that I should not embrace. I pray that I can take a stand there. I pray that I can take a stand when it comes to being true to the scripture that I will not compromise what you've done on the cross because it's easier to preach I will not compromise what it means to be a follower of Christ so I will commit to taking a stand there I'll commit that I'll be honest and I'll be faithful and that I'll be true I commit that 
I will lead in a way that you would want me to with gentleness and compassion and kindness. I pray that I'll take a stand where I can. Father, if we're being honest, all of us have these opportunities to take stands, but it just looks different than what we're accustomed to. It looks different than what maybe we expect. And why we might be ready to die for our faith in theory, man, I'm praying for a church family that's ready to live for our faith, that we can take this stand, that we'll just go all in, that we will have no plan B, that will, there will be no plan for retreat, but that as followers of Jesus Christ, we move forward by the grace of God, and we simply stay, we are all in. That being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to impact every one of my relationships. It's going to impact how I think and how I behave and how I love people. It's going to impact my integrity. It's going to impact my faithfulness. It's going to impact every part of my being because I am all in. Because Jesus was all in for us. That's what I'm praying for our church family. I'm praying that 2021 becomes the year that we draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, we are all in whatever you are calling us to. We are all in. Father, I pray for families that, that are going through difficulties. I pray for hearts that are grieving the loss of loved ones. I pray for young people who are trying to figure out why they're here, what purpose God has gifted to them. I pray for a group of our faithful, faithful people that are just here waiting to hear from you. Father, in our waiting, would you help us to take a stand? Would we embrace these final words from Paul? I'd love for you to keep your eyes, or at least down and your heads bowed. It just gives us a moment of privacy to process what we've just heard and what's going on in your heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. They're going to help us worship in just a few moments. But before we do, there's a couple of things I want you to think about. Boy, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you today to make the commitment that you will take a stand, that you will be strong in the Lord and not in your own strength, but in his strength, that you'll put on this full armor of God so you can take a stand. I am convinced that if you wait for the day that the devil comes knocking on your door, you will not be prepared. Because that attack is going to come and it's going to wreak havoc on your family. So be prepared. Do the work now. Do the preparation now. Pray now. Love each other well now. Get in the word now. Pray now. For all reasons, in all seasons, all kinds of prayer. Let's just commit to it. <clears throat> if you're here today or you're watching online, it's no mistake you're hearing this message today. And maybe you are in a position where you've actually never given your life to Jesus Christ and you say, man, Daniel, this all sounds great, but I don't know if I've ever actually said the first of what Nak Singh said. I've never said those first words that I have decided to follow Jesus. I would just encourage you, would you make him Lord of your life today? Maybe today is the day that you come forward and say, I am ready to believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He told a crowd on a hillside, man, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. This is what the promise of Jesus is. And so if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'd invite you to reach out. If you're following online, I'd invite you to message us. We'd love to get together this week and show you from the Bible what it means to have a relationship with him. If you're here in the building, maybe after the service, you can reach out to the person who brought you or the person you're sitting with or myself. We'd be honored to show you what it looks like to give your life to him. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together after we worship. I want you to take the time while we worship to cleanse your heart and purify your heart from however God is leading you in this moment. He is speaking to God's people today. But here's the thing. He's not going to shout. It's not going to be in a wind or in a tornado or in this loud message. God speaks to his children by whispering because he's standing right next to you. He's right next to you. He doesn't need to yell. What it takes for us is to calm our own hearts and to silence all the other voices in our life so that we can hear how God is leading us. And however God is leading us, I would encourage you now to make a commitment to stand, to be strong in the Lord, to put on the whole armor and to pray, pray, pray. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.